reading from 1 Peter, chapter 2. Listen carefully, this is the most magnificent reading. I don't mean me reading, I mean most magnificent Bible passage, okay? <laughs> Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, very exciting, isn't it? Lots going on um, and great to see uh, more people getting stuck in. Um, now, as we get stuck, uh, started now into the, our sermon time, have you had the experience where there's someone in your life and uh, when they come up to you excited about something, even before they tell you what it is, you already know what they're going to say. You know what they're going to be excited about. Uh, I reckon Rob had this experience a couple of weeks ago. So I was still on my holidays. We had a meal with them and I had a video I want to show Rob uh, and he wasn't so excited. He was pretending to be excited. Um, can anyone guess what the video I had on my phone that I want to show Rob was of a... It was a sheep. Yeah, that's right. I got to go and video some rams for a ram sale on my on my holiday. So it's such a good holiday. It was really it was it was lots of fun. Um, and, and so you may or may not be surprised about that. Uh, but I don't think Rob was very surprised, and he kind of rolled his eyes a bit. And yeah, of course, that's what it was going to be. Uh, but what, what what is it? There, there may be people in your life where you go, yeah, I think they're, they're so passionate about this thing. They're, they're so excited about this uh, new product. Maybe some essential oils. Maybe it's a new diet. Uh, maybe it's a Thermomix or something they've bought. Maybe it's KFC and the Tower Burger uh, or whatever it might be. Uh, you, you kind of already know what they're going to be talking about before they start talking about it. They're just so excited about it. Uh, but have you ever thought about yourself? Uh, what do you think people are expecting you to talk about before you come and chat to them? Uh, what, do you, what do you think people are expecting uh, to be part of the conversation? Um, and how do we want people to react when we approach? We want people to expect something. Uh, and particularly for us today, it's that question around church, around faith. When it comes to faith, should those we know expect us to bring up Jesus in our conversations? 
Should, should they be going, oh, here's Liam. He's going to talk about Jesus again. Uh, see, see I, I find myself a little bit worried sometimes that maybe they will expect that and won't like it. I, I worry sometimes, what if I'm that guy uh, who, oh, gee, Liam's going to hit me up about faith again. Uh, what, what, is, that, is that a bad thing? Is that an expectation? What should it be like? If you're a Christian, what does God want from us? What, what sort of people should we be? What should we talk about if we join God's family? Now, if you're not a Christian here today, if you're still exploring, I, I want you to consider today a bit of a fine print, uh, a peek in under the hood, uh, and to say, if you were to sign up to follow Jesus, what would God expect of me? What kind of person might God expecting me to be? Uh, and the answer is, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, the answer is God expects you to be a priest. Uh, now, you already picked that up from the kids' talk, didn't you? Um, so today, with January over, school back in the year well and truly started, uh, we're going to ask how to be a good priest. Uh, and, and as we step through this passage, um, cracking passage, and really magnificently read, thank you, Alan, as you said, good promise, uh, we'll say, well, why would you sign up to be a priest to kind of be super religious? I think that that's what we think of as priests, aren't we? They're, they're not the normal worshippers. They're the super religious ones. Why sign up? Uh, what are we included into? If you're a Christian, what is it that you're being called into? Uh, and then we'll think, well, what are some practical tips? How can, we, how can we live this out? How can we be a good priest? Uh, and so the first one, the why sign up, the answer re really is got nothing to do with you. It's not got nothing to do with me and everything to do with what God has done. Have a look there in verse 1 uh, from, from 1 Peter 2. Uh, and, and Peter is... Uh, as I said, he's, he's one of Jesus' apostles. He's writing the church. He takes on a bit of a fatherly figure to the Christians he's writing to. Um, and he's just so excited about being a Christian. And you'll, you'll get that all the way through as we go through this, this little chunk. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I mean, that, that already sounds good, doesn't it? You go, who wants a bit less slander, malice, and deceit in their life? Like, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Just to you know, get rid of some of that, a bit of a purge. Um, get rid of some of that. But he goes on. Get rid of that. If that's not good enough, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that all sounds sweet and beautiful and lovely, doesn't it? Oh, crave milk like babies. Now, who's had a baby around? Who can remember a baby around craving milk? Um, it's not all sweet and pure. It's screaming the house down. That, that, that's, that's the picture, isn't it? What does a baby do when they're craving milk? They, they scream. They, they say, I, I want it and I want it now. There, there's something in them that has had this milk that says, this is what I need. This is nourishing. This is, this is what's giving me life. I think if babies could talk, that's what they'd be talking about. Oh, I had some really good milk this morning. I can't wait to get some more. You know, I think it's two hours. The time to start screaming again. And that's the picture that Peter's chosen to use. He, he says, if, if you've tasted what God has to offer, you'll want more of it in the same way that babies want more milk. And they're just insatiable, aren't they? Uh, and, and that's what that's the language he uses. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, now that you've experienced what God has to offer. 
And by tasted that the Lord is good, what I'm not talking about is, oh, thank you, God, for giving me a car park right near the entry to Coles. Uh, it's, it's not that kind of thing. It's not a good test result. It's not just a job working out. We can pray for those things. Sometimes God delivers on those things. But that's, that's not the goodness uh, that Peter's talking about here. Uh, he actually goes into it as we, we go on to the very next verse, verse 4. So you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, tasted the Lord is good. How do we taste it? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Uh, what Peter's done there is he's taken an Old Testament qu promise, uh, a quote from the Old Testament, a promise from one of the prophets, um, and he's changed it a bit. So this promise was always about uh, a future figure who was going to come, uh, this really significant figure, a stone. But in the Old Testament uh, quote, it said, as you come to it, the living stone. But Peter changes it. He makes it explicit. He says, as you come to him, the living stone. Peter's filled by the Holy Spirit, one of Jesus' apostles. And he says, this is what it was always talking about. Or should I say, this is who it was always talking about. And that is Jesus. Uh, where do we taste that the Lord is good? It's not just when we're on holidays or when the cool change comes in, hopefully soon. Uh, it's not a nice meal or a family experience. They're not fundamentally at the core of it when we taste that the Lord is good. We taste and that the Lord is good when we come to Jesus, when we experience the forgiveness that he offers. Jesus, born as a baby, grew as a man, lived perfectly. God himself grew to live a life that always honored God, that always loved others, and yet he offered himself as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. He, he took on himself the judgment we deserve for, for our sin, God's wrath on himself so that we could be forgiven. And that's what Peter's talking about. When you come to him, not just come to see him, but come to receive him, come to be part of his a family come to experience that forgiveness, that's when you are going to taste that the Lord is good. And Peter says, when that happens, something changes in us. Verse 5, he says, when that happens, when you come to Jesus, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. And we'll get to that in our next point. Uh, but I particularly want to focus in on offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, without Jesus, nothing we can do is good enough for God. Uh, in and of ourselves, uh, this is a human condition. Even if we do good things for God, we're not doing them with pure motives. We're not doing them for the right reasons. We're either doing them because we want something from God. Oh, I'll do this. If I help a bunch of these people out, I hope I get that job. If I do this, God, you, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We might be doing it to try and pay off some debt. We might be doing it out of a misplaced sense of obligation or out of pride because we think that this will make me a good person. I like being looked at or I just want to feel better about myself. We can do good things for all sorts of reasons, but it's actually only after we've come to Jesus that we've been forgiven that we can truly do things and offer them as a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. And that's because it's only then that we can do things with expecting nothing back. If Jesus has already forgiven us, if we've already been received as God's children, adopted, included, uh, inheritors of every spiritual blessing in Christ, well, what's this little action that I'm doing? It's not earning anything. There's nothing more that could be contributed. It can be an acceptable offering to God. Thanks, 
worship. It can be pure, if you like, an acceptable offering to God. And as Peter goes on, it's, it's like he gets even more excited. And I, I think we get to one of the little climaxes here in verse 6. He says, For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, I don't need a show of hands, uh, but do you ever worry sometimes about someone discovering something in your past <laughs> or mucking up in the future and that getting discovered? The, the shame that that might come on us? Uh, what Peter is offering here, that what God offers through Peter, through these Old Testament prophets, is not just an, not just an assurance of forgiveness, but assurance of a future that is free from shame. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be consequences in, our, in this life. There often are. That's what happens. That's what this world is. But in eternal things before God, Peter says, if, if you come to Jesus, the cornerstone, the precious one, if you build your life on him, if you find forgiveness in him, if you trust him for salvation, there will never be something comes up that will put you to shame. You will never have to hide before God again because he's seen it all and he's forgiven it all and there is nothing more to be ashamed of. He's cleansed it. You will never be put to shame. Oh, what, an, what a promise for an eternal future. And that's what it is uh, that Peter's talking about when he says, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Have you come to Christ? Have you experienced some of that? Have you found that, wow, now I can serve God, not trying to earn desperately my forgiveness, but just as an act of thanks? Have you found that you can come to Jesus and, and be forgiven? And, and not just forgiven for the past, but be given this assurance that, oh, I, I don't have to worry, will I make the grade, am I good enough? There, there's a piece Paul talks about, it's a piece that, passes understanding it doesn't really make sense not if you know my history not if you know what i'm like but wow we can still have this peace about the future and there'd be no shame a confidence that that's tasting that the lord is good and so peter says if if you've tasted that you'll be crying out for more like a baby craving milk you'll be kind of signing up to say well of course i want to be a priest of this god of course i want to be involved this is a good thing. This is amazing. Why wouldn't I want to share it? And on that note, we'll, we'll, we'll see what Peter says we, we sign up to, we're invited into when we become a Christian. Uh, and this is where some building language comes in. So we'll jump around the passage a little bit here. But it starts there in verse 7. Um, so uh, Peter says, uh, Now to you who believe, so he's talking to all Christians, this stone, that is Jesus, is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they also what they were destined for. Now, there is a lot going on in this passage. Uh, lots of Old Testament quotes and promises kind of mixed up in here. Um, the, the summary of it quickly is um, that there was always a promised saviour coming for the Israelite nation. Uh, God never hid that. He said, hey, this isn't the end game. One day a saviour is coming. Different pictures in this picture. It's the stone, the cornerstone uh, that you build the whole building along on. So the, the most significant piece of all God's plans, Jesus is coming. 
Uh, But if you've read the Gospels, you'll know that when Jesus came, the Jews didn't all receive him well, did they? Some did. Uh, The poor, the sick, the needy, the outcast often received Jesus well. But it was the learned Jews, often the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who knew the Torah, many of them didn't receive Jesus well. God's cornerstone, the the pinnacle of his plans, the foundation on which he would build everything has arrived, and yet they stumbled on it, they tripped, and and rejecting Jesus is actually their destruction. It was a sign that they they weren't God's people. Jesus said that if, if you love my father, you'd love me as well. It was a sign of their destruction. That's this stone language that's going on there. Uh, But back to verse 5, Peter points to us, to Christians. He says, Jesus is this cornerstone, but we have a part in this building too. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, one thing that that as we read through the Bible becomes clear, especially in the New Testament, is that we're not longing to rebuild a physical temple in Jerusalem. If Jesus is the cornerstone, he's not going to be turned into some block of sandstone, relayed in Jerusalem and a new temple built. Because Jesus is the temple. We don't need somewhere to make sacrifices anymore. Uh, Jesus is the sacrifice, the once for all sacrifices. We're not hoping for that anymore. The temple has been replaced the temple was the place where you came to meet with God, but now the place you meet, come to meet with God is God's people, the church. And not the building, not like the church building, but the people, the church, are God's dwelling place. Um, it comes up all the way through the New Testament. You'll see it there in places like Ephesians 2, Paul writes, consequently, that's because you're now a Christian, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Built, there's that language again, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see what's going on here? There's not a place, there's not a building where you go to meet God anymore. If someone in the world, uh, they don't know God, they're not a Christian, they haven't got access to him, where do they go to meet with God? Now, they could come to this building at any time in the week, but would they meet God here? Not unless there happens to be a Christian here uh, who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit, God himself, who can share God with them. That, that, that's where you meet God in Christians, both individually, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and especially corporately together, we are God's temple. This is where God dwells. This is where our world can come to meet God, to get salvation. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, you're not just a Christian if you follow Jesus. You're a little temple walking around. Uh, You don't have to dress up particularly, but you're a temple. That's pretty cool. But you're not just a temple. uh, You're also a priest. So everybody, every Christian is bivocational. You're the temple and you're a priest. We see that verse 9. You, again, to Christian, plural, you're all. It'd be y'all if we're in the deep south of America. Or I think yous is the Bogan version of that, isn't it? Plural you. I like y'all. Y'all are a chosen priesthood, a, a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, now what does a priest do? 
well, a Christian priest, I can't uh, speak for other faiths, but the Christian priest's job is not to dress up. There's far more important jobs to doing than dressing up. Uh, even if Brooke reckons Rob does dress up like priests, uh, I'd like to see that. Maybe he's got his old Anglican robes somewhere. Um, we'll have to find that out. Um, but, but how do we live this out? What does it look like? I, I've got three points for us to take home for this. But before I get there, first and foremost, we need to think about how we will respond to Jesus. See, Jesus is who he is. He, he doesn't change. He, his God himself is eternal. And he doesn't change depending on what you believe about him. Jesus is the promised King and Saviour. He is the one who can and did die to offer you forgiveness and eternal life. He's the only cornerstone on which God's people are built. That's Jesus. So the question has to be, how will you treat him? And maybe you haven't asked that, answered that question yet. Maybe you're still exploring. I want to encourage you, don't ignore Jesus. Don't avoid Jesus. I suspect since you're here at church, you're, you're probably not ignoring him. But maybe we're tempted to be a fan of Jesus. Like, you know, I've, I've got some time for Jesus. He's, he's a cool guy. He's got some good advice. I don't mind popping into church every now and again. But, oh, you know, I, I don't want to be one of those Christians, you know, who take it a bit too seriously. I, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I just don't want to be too serious. I, I want to encourage you not to only appreciate Jesus. It's tempting to just appreciate him, but not build your whole life on and around him. I want to encourage you, don't do that. Don't just try and appreciate Jesus. Given who he is and what he's done, we owe him all for that. I want to encourage us all as strongly as I can to respond in the way Peter describes is the only Christian response. That's what Peter says. If you're a Christian, you're a priest. There's no pew sitters. There's no like, oh, I'm just, I'm in, but I'm not that serious. No, no, you're either in or you're not. That, that's, that's what the Bible says. If you've really tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you've experienced forgiveness and cleansing, you will crave it like spiritual milk. That's Jesus. I want to encourage you to, to go for it. And now if you have come to him, if you have come to the stone, that is Jesus, uh, who is precious, well, I want to encourage us uh, to turn uh, that descriptive word that Jesus is precious into a noun. Uh, I don't think there's an English word for precious-ing. Uh, there is for treasure. You can have a treasure that you treasure. Uh, but can you pressure something? Uh, I want to propose that Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, he, he's, he's a really good example at this point of preciousing the ring. Uh, it's his precious and he, he'll do anything for it. It's precious to him and he lives that out. Don't have to end up looking like Gollum. Uh, but I think that's what Peter's getting at here. Is Jesus precious to you? And not just that you say, oh yeah, he's precious to me, but is that evident? Do you precious him? Do you treasure him? Do you invest in him? Be like me saying, oh, yeah, my relationship with my wife, Lucy, is precious to me, but not investing in it at all, or just the minimum. Is it really precious? I, I want to precious that relationship. I want to treasure it. I want to invest in it. I encourage you, if you're a priest, that is, if you're a Christian, do the job. Pre precious him. 
That's the first one. The second thing we need to do as priests, uh, Christian priests, is offer spiritual sacrifices. Uh, and we see that there in verse 5. It's uh, r- really clear that we offer these spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Not because we're good, not because we're amazing, all because of what Jesus has done. It's not to pay for sin. I want to be really clear that if you're a Christian, the good things we do, and we can do good things, are not in any way, they're not a sacrifice to pay for sin. And if we start slipping into that thinking, if we start thinking, oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm forgiven. Yeah, yeah, because of Jesus, but also because I get to church so regularly, because I serve, uh, because I give this money, because I do this thing. If we start to rest on those things, as a reason why God should forgive us, that's a really dangerous place to be because we're no longer resting on Jesus. We're resting on our own works and our works can't save us. They're never good enough. Um, so any sacrifice that we do, anything that we do, it's, it's not to pay for, for sin. It's, it's in thanks, it's in praise, it's in worship. The other thing is it's not an animal slaughter anymore. You know, you don't have to skill up in your butchery skills. Uh, it's something actually far more involved than that. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12. He says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, not just once, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's another way of just saying your lives, everything, everything that you are. That's the sacrifice. It's not just a kind of once, oh, kill an animal sacrifice made great i can get on with my life no offer your bodies get on with your life of offering sacrifices to god what we do with our bodies how we live paul describes it in the letter to the ephesians like this he says you christians walk in the way of love just as christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god Jesus gave himself up as a fragrant offering. We can give ourselves up in love, in commitment to one another, in loving others. In his letter to the Philippians, he says this, I've received full payment. Uh, Paul uh, was in another place doing missionary work. The Philippians had sent him money uh, to do that work. They supported him. I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are... A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, being generous to the work of the gospel. All these things can be part of our living sacrifice, our fragrant offering, our priestly work of offering sacrifices to God. Uh, A phrase we often use here at Lake Mac is uh, give your time, talent and treasure. I like it because I can remember it. They all start with T's. Uh, And that's what those multiply guys are doing, isn't it? Uh, They're giving some time. Uh, They've got a lot of talent. They're using their gifts. They're saying, hey, I could be doing other stuff with this part of my life, but I'm able to. We know not everyone can, but they're able to. They're gifted and they're able to do that. Give some time. Uh, Same as the not R&D, not research and development, review and development group. Uh, They'll be doing the same. They've got gifts. They're giving time. They're investing, taking some some waste in, in the church, giving time and talent. Uh, And I've been especially, along with the overseas, especially encouraged this last year to see the way we all together have been given our treasure to the work of the gospel. Uh, We not only managed to kid out Marmong and kick off a church there, uh, there was heaps of time and talent that went into that as well, but a whole lot of money. Uh, And we're also covering our bills so far. 
Uh, We've been generous. We've responded to what God has done for us and said, we want other people to experience this same thing. And to do that, we need a church to exist. We need to pay our bills. We are giving our treasures. Uh, They're all ways that we can offer priestly sacrifices to God. And one of the big things, the big thing that priests do um, uh, about God, to God, as priests, is that they use their lips uh, in what we say. We see it in Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 13, 15. Uh, The author of Hebrews says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us, not just the apostles, not just the leaders, us, us Christians, continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. What are these Christians talking about? What's what's the author of Hebrews envisaging Christians talking about? Well, they're talking about what they've experienced of God, uh, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. If babies could talk, that's what they'd be talking about, wouldn't they? Oh, that milk, it's good stuff. You gotta get some of it, it makes you grow, it keeps you alive. Christians who've tasted the spiritual goodness of God, who've tasted forgiveness and cleansing, who've started to experience that malice and deceit and envy shed away, who've seen what it is to be included in God's family and be part of something internal, who've tasted that, well, won't we want to talk about that? Think about your favorite food and the first time you tasted it, you went, oh, what would Rob be saying? Have you tasted the Tower Burger? Oh. It's good. You, you should try some. There's far better foods than that. And this spiritual food that God offers is so much better than that in what we say. And that's this big priestly role to declare God's praises. That's where this chunk ends. Verse 9. But you are a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. What's our job as priests? That. that that's a purpose thing. Why are we all those things? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why has God saved you? If you're a Christian, why has God saved you and brought you into his family? Why has he cleansed you? Why has he forgiven you? Why has he adopted you? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It's just a way of describing the gospel, isn't it? How can you declare the praises of God who's taken me out of darkness into life without talking about forgiveness and sin and what Jesus did on the cross so that I could be forgiven? How can we praise God without talking about all those things with our lips? We can't declare the praises of Jesus without sharing the gospel. And I want to encourage us today that we shouldn't declare the gospel without declaring his praises. We shouldn't just be giving the gospel in this dry form. Oh, you know, turn or burn, Jesus saves you. You know, here's a little track. It should come with some passion, shouldn't it? If you've really tasted that the Lord is good, if you've experienced forgiveness, if you know purpose and an assurance that you will never be put to shame, can you, should you be able to share the gospel in a dry, dutiful way? We shouldn't be able to do it. We we should be raving about this. I think it's the difference between a salesman and a convert. You know, a salesman who's just got to sell another couple of couches to make my quota for the week. And someone who has used a Thermomix and it changed their life. You know the difference, don't you? Someone who's discovered something, they've converted to this thing. 
Uh, they're not just trying to sell you one. This is life-changing. It was from them, and you, you can tell it. That's what Peter wants for us. That's what God wants for us. Uh, and so I, I want to encourage us to do that this year. Now, as a church, there'll be a bunch of things we're doing. I've got a pretty little slide. Uh, might make some sense to you. This is how, in my jumbled brain, I'm trying to display how, as a church, we're going to seek to declare the praises of God, both here in Morissette and up at Marmong. Um, so if you have a look, uh, top line uh, across the top is up at Marmong. The bottom line is, uh, is, is at Morissette, and the stuff along the arrows is in the middle. And if you go from left to, left to right, you've got the terms. That's the different colours. So that's hopefully your orientation. Um, so we're kicking off life at Marmong this Friday. Again, if you've got a friend who lives around Marmong, Toronto, Newcastle, and they're ready to do life, invite them along, take them there. Uh, that's happening at Marmong. A whole bunch of the Marmong people are coming along. We're really excited about that. Um, down here at Morissette, Ellis mentioned it, this week in growth groups, we're starting our evangelism training. We're doing a series, a course called Unawkwitting Jesus. Uh, really, it's just saying, do you feel awkward sometimes talking about Jesus? Well, how can we do that in a less awkward way? Fantastic course we did a couple of years ago. Uh, it's been really helpful for me and a bunch of other people. So we're going to do that in home groups. We're going to be praying for our friends, our family, our colleagues, anyone we think we could invite to a mission event, to life. And we, that's what we're going to do this term for mission. We're going to train do some training and we're going to pray because that's pretty well the best thing we can be doing, isn't it? Pray for those we know and love. And the next term, the start of next term, we're going to kick off here at Morissette with some uh, mission events, some connecting events and straight into life. So that's if you've got local friends here, that's what we're trying to get them to. In the middle of the year, we're going to do a combined event, custom sausage. Show of hands, who remembers our last custom sausage? Oh, you other guys are in for a treat. Um, 10 different meats, 30 different ingredients, you get to make your own sausage. Uh, one of our kind of famous events that are uh, good for all the whole family. It's really just a bit of fun to invite your friends along to to say, come along and enjoy yourself. Uh, we might even make sure we've got vegetarian ingredients, see if we can make some veggie sausages, see how we go. I'm seeing some uh, query looks, but we'll see how we go. Um, that's just a connecting event. And then the second half of the year, we'll kind of do the same mission events, but, well, different mission events, uh, but up at Marmong. So we'll do some training with the Marmong growth groups. There'll be lots of praying going up there, connecting events, and into life up at Marmong in the, at the end of term three. Uh, and then we'll have our connecting events as we did this year leading up to Christmas, the wreath making, the hot wings challenge in our Christmas events. So that's what we're going to do as a church, as a body, as an organised group, to see if we can declare God's praises a bit better. But you know what the thing will be that will make all that fail? If we don't talk to our friends, if we're the only ones who show up, we'll pat each other on the back and say, isn't it good to be there? And no one's going to become a Christian. We'll think, oh, aren't we great running these events? No, we're not great because these events aren't for us. These are for the 25,000 people in Morissette, uh, most of whom don't know Jesus. There's another 25,000 people within 15 minutes of Marmong Point who don't know Jesus. That's what this is for. And the only way we're going to be able to share that good news with them is if we... Y'all, priests, start declaring the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his glorious light. Work at befriending our friends, investing in them, sharing with them bits of our lives, inviting them along so that they're ready when we give them an invite to an event. And they might just say yes. That's the only way this is going to work. Our church needs more than one priest. It needs, I'm, well, I keep saying I'm not a priest, but I am. 
They say, does your church have priests? I should say, yeah, we've got about 150 of them. Um, because I'm not just the only priest. It needs more than just one. We need a whole community to get to do that. Uh, investing all the time, working at making it natural, and just raving about this good thing that we've experienced. Um, so I'm going to pray now, and, and we're going to sing in response uh, because we have a cracking song that I think is just the right thing to align our hearts uh, with what's going on. So please join me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you invite us not into something hard or something tough. Uh, you don't ask us to do something where we just have to suck it up. Uh, but you invite us into something beautiful and good, something that we taste and crave more of, uh, like babies screaming out for, for milk. We, we thank you that you, you offer us forgiveness and adoption and cleansing and purpose and inclusion. And we thank you that when you offer that to us, you allow us to be part of offering that to others, sharing this good news that is truly the best news we can imagine. And so we pray this year as we launch into this new year as a community, that we will be the sort of community who, who love our neighbours, who love our friends, who love our families and our colleagues, who invest in them, who, who talk about you and our experience of faith in a way that makes them interested, that makes them want to come. We pray that we will be good friends and good family and good neighbours, uh, that we will invest in people and love them and show your love to them by inviting and sharing Jesus with them. Please help us to do this. This is not an easy thing, but is the best thing that we can be involved in. We pray that we'll do that well together this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.